0: And it is like this picture-perfect moment when the president of the United States looks down at my 10-year-old son and in his Texas draw, he said, Hunter, are you going to be a ball player like your daddy? And my son looking up at the president and going, no, sir, baseball sucks. (laughs) Come on. To a a baseball guy. Right. (laughs) So as a baseball player, I'm like, you did not just say that right everything that baseball means in this country and it sucks thank you right but the dad in me is going you said sir right that's pretty cool (laughs) and that was our white house trip and he goes i'm gonna be a lawyer and that kid is 30 with my first grandkid and he's a lawyer
1: Jim, you're an athlete, uh, an author, teacher, speaker the movie, the, the Rookies, based off your story, man. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Eric. Thank you. And I'd like to go back a little bit. The, the Rookie portrayed your life as this kid who moved around a lot. You maybe had this not-so-nice dad. But What was real childhood like for you?
0: Real childhood was moving two or three times a year, always being a new kid, being a skinny, tall kid, so I got picked on a lot. Athletics was the one way... I could not only get away from my dad by getting out of the house, but it allowed me to make friends who were teammates. I didn't talk a lot as a kid. My dad was one of those children are to be seen and not heard guys. Gotcha. And he was big and scary and in the Navy and we're not going to cross him because he's mean. <laughs> and so the Disney version of my dad is the G rated version.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> so, and I tell audience, I go, you know what? The bruises go away. It's the words that stay with you. Yeah. And we know that as athletes ourselves, this, those words get in our brain and we start worrying and we're like, I don't know if I can do this now. Right, And you've got to stay out of your own head sometimes. Wow. Who inspired you to
1: play baseball as a kid?
0: You know, my grandmother gave my first ball and glove when I was three years old and okay. we lived in, we lived in Oakland at the time and Oakland was really good. And Vita Blue was one of the pitchers and I wanted to be like Vita Blue. Yeah. And, but baseball's always been something for me and I gravitated to it, even though I played football and ran track and did basketball. Baseball for me, in between those white lines, was the one place I could be the kid I was supposed to be. Yeah. And so being able to do that and having a team concept, and not speaking a lot, those were my friends, whether I said anything or not. Yep. And I never competed against anybody else. I competed against myself. If I could make myself one step faster or one click of a bat quicker, or if my arm speed could improve, I did anything I could just to try to make myself as good as I possibly could. And it was never about the other team. That was just somebody I got to play and have fun with.
1: Right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, tell me about this deal that you made with the high school team that you were coaching that ultimately led to you trying out for the big leagues.
0: Well, it's an amazing deal. in 1999, where the movie's based upon there was an athletic director and head football coach at Reagan County High School in Big Lake where I coached. And he pulled me aside one day. He's in charge of not only all the coaches, but all the kids. And so he pulls me aside right before baseball practice. He goes, these kids are losers. Their parents are losers. They'll never go anywhere. There's nothing they can do. If it's ever close, if they're ever behind, they'll find a way to lose. And then he put his finger in my chest, which we know men like that a lot. Of course. And he goes, You may be a great baseball coach, but you're always going to come in last to people like me because I know how to I know how to step on people to be where I want to be. You're wow. too nice. And I thought, wow. And they put you in charge of everybody. Yeah. But wow. two of my kids are right around the corner and they heard it. And I didn't know anybody had heard it. So in, in 90 seconds, this guy ruined two years of work. Right. And I, I get over to the field, and that's basically where the movie starts is we get bashed pretty good two games in a row. Okay. And what Disney doesn't show, because Disney can't, is I stood on home plate as I sent my kids down the left field line. In the movie, it was the bleachers. Okay. And I I just sat there and I said a prayer, what can I do to push these kids? How can I How can I get them to achieve and believe if they can't even get out of their own head, like we were talking about earlier? Yeah. And people come through here on the way to somewhere else. We're never going anywhere. We're probably not even going to graduate high school. And so the answer I got on home plate was go down there and teach them some of the lessons that your grandparents taught you. And I thought, wow, that was pretty simple. Thanks, God. And I, <laughs> yeah. I, I go down to the left field line. Nobody's looking at me. Everybody's looking at the ground. And I start talking about hopes and dreams and goals and setting yourself up for life. And since I would failed the first time through baseball and then succeeded the second time, I wanted these kids to know about education. Education is important. It doesn't matter what you do. But if you get that education first, you can go anywhere you want to. You can go chase what you want to because then you've already got that to fall back on. And so we're talking about this. Basically, I said, you guys have to go out and live life. You can't let life live you. Don't let anybody dictate to you what you're going to do with your life. And that's when they started looking up, they started giggling and laughing. And then my 18 year old catcher looks at me goes, what about your dreams? I said, my dream is to watch you guys do great in class, graduate from high school, do great on the field, go to college, see what's out there, and then make up your own mind on where you want to be. And he goes, we know that we love you too. We think you still want to play baseball. And I said, no, sir, I want to stay married. Thank you very much. And, but coach, the way you teach us the game, we know your heart's still in it. You know, we know how to act and react because you've taught us every scenario there is to know about baseball. When you throw us batting practice, we can't hit it. And I said, that's because you can't hit. <laughs> and they're like, why are you telling us to chase our dreams if you're not willing to do it yourself? And I said, you're 18, you need to shut up. And that I made everybody giggle because that's the kind of person, coach, I am so sure. like interaction and so he goes if we win a district championship which they had never done you trout again and i i hemmed and hawed and argued and i said look i'm 35 i weigh 260 your mom's make homemade tortillas for me it's a bad diet as an athlete <laughs> and i said and the last surgery i had the doctor said you will never ever pitch again but it's physically unable you can't do it wow. and so but coach if we win. And finally in my head, I'm like, if I could push these guys, even if I take a laugh or two at my, my own expense, that's worth it. Yeah. And I, and I did the bet and they're like, and it's a bet. And I said, yep. And then it wasn't talked about again. Okay. And we start winning and then we start winning by a lot. And then these kids who couldn't hit me during batting practice are hitting me all over the field and I can't get them out. Wow. And so I'm like, wow, there is no way I could go to a tryout. I can't even get high school kids out. <laughs> and they keep winning. We're down by two runs in the last inning of the district championship. They come back and they score six. They win. One of the best sights I've ever seen. Wow. A group of kids who had no idea that they could accomplish something had done it. And it just Prove to them we can be successful in whatever it is we do. Yeah. You see, because one of my rules was we're not going to talk to the other team. That's just going to fire them up. We're not, we're never going to talk to the umpires because we can't win that no matter what. (laughs) And the only thing we're going to say to ourselves while we're on the field is we're going to say positive things. Nobody's trying to give up a home run. Nobody's trying to walk a guy. We're all trying to do the same thing. We're trying to win. So if everybody does their job within our team scope, I don't care what the score is we've won we're doing it right and we're going to keep doing it right and those kids were just amazing Hmm. and so they win I go to the tryout at 35 and in the movie it has the radar gun on the side of the road right that was there but I wasn't smart enough to realize hey you could actually do that and find out how hard you throw (laughs) And so Mike Rich, our writer, he put it in to the script and Dennis loved the scene, ended up being an awesome scene. Yeah. And it just let everybody know I had no idea how hard I threw till I actually got to the tryout. And I thought it was a perfect segue into he didn't know. Yeah. So I get to the tryout. Nobody will play catch with me. They're all looking at me like I'm some crazy old man. I've got my kids there. One of them is one. I'm changing diapers. And I go up to the sign-up table, and Doug Gassaway, he was a scout forever. God rest his soul. He goes, "How many kids you bring to tryout?" And I look down at mine, and I went yeah. three. He goes, "No, two tryout." And I said, "Well, I brought me." Yeah. And I said, "My grandfather taught me if you ever make a promise, you live up to it no matter what, because at the end of the day, when you pass away, that's what you're going to be remembered for." Right. And I get done, and he's like, "Okay, I'll let you throw." Goes, but you're going to throw last. All these guys are here for serious business. I'm like, all right. So I hang out for four and a half hours. Pulls me out. I throw my first pitch and it's a strike. So I'm impressed, right? I'm old. Sure. I'm like, strike? Yes. <laughs> and I look over the catcher's head behind the screen is the scout, Gasaway shaking his radar gun. And I'm like, I don't even throw hard enough to register. <laughs> this is worse than I thought. And we go through this and all the young guys through like 20 pitches. When I get up to 60, I think they're making fun of me. Right. And, but then he looks at this kid and they've already packed all their stuff back into their cars. He's like, "Go get your bat and get in the box. And the kid looks at him. He goes, you want me to get in there against that? And I think that was the first time I went, huh, maybe it's not as bad as I thought. Yeah. And I get done, walk to the car with my kids to put them in the car. They've been in the sun all day. He comes, the scout comes up to me. He goes, hey, I remember you back when you were a football star and you went to junior college and everybody wanted to make a picture out of you. I said, yes, sir. He goes, back then you were tall and thin and you threw 87 or 88. He goes, I don't know what you've done your time off aside from eat, but the first pitch you threw without warming up was 94. Everything after that went up to 98 wow i'm just stunned Uh, i'd thrown 88 at my best when i was young and 35 and the doctor going you'll never ever pitch again i got 85 percent of your deltoid out you can't do it and then to come back and throw 98 wow where does that come from
1: (laughs) unbelievable unbelievable that is such a such a great story when you decided to share your story from your crazy childhood to where you know going to the big leagues, when did you do that? And was there a weight that was lifted off your shoulders when you kind of came public and, and went public with all that?
0: The first time, we kind of signed the movie deal and the book deal at the same time. Okay. And so while they're writing a the script, I'm writing a book with my writer. And one thing a book will do if you keep notes and you write a book, it will tell you everything you have ever done wrong in your entire life. (laughs) And as I'm reading through that, part of me is like, wow, you survived a lot. And the other part of me is like, hey, you're a pretty good athlete, but you weren't pretty good in school. And and you get through it and you're like, wow. And so part of it is cathartic and part of it just makes you really analyze and go, you know what, if I had to do it all over again, there is no way because it wasn't that fun the first time.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the topics that you speak about is really the importance of integrity and remembering who you are and in all circumstances, why are those so important?
0: It, those are things that my grandfather instilled in me. Hmm. See, at 15, after watching my parents throw, fight, hit, curse, and say things to each other, they promise never ever to do when you take your vows. Yeah. They did me the biggest favor they never knew they did for me when at 15, they sent me from their house in Miami to my grandparents' house in Brownwood, Texas. Wow! And those two people, my grandfather, Ernest, and my grandmother, Alice, are the two people who changed me. They Mm. taught me about morals and character and integrity and holding your head up. And he said, whatever you do, you do it 100%, 100% of the time or it's not worth your time. Yeah. And... Just taught me to shake hands firmly, look people in the eye, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. They just instilled all the values in me that I needed.
1: Wow. Man. I, and I'm so like close with my grandma, and I came from this crazy broken home as well, and lots of addictions and watched physical abuse to my mom, not from my dad, but from her boyfriend. And man, just to, to even be a part of that, you know, and then hear your story is just crazy. But it's awesome to see where you're at today. But in your new, in your new book, you got, it's called Dream Makers, which Dennis Quay did the foreword for, yeah. and you talk about surrounding yourself with the best to be your best. This book sounds amazing. Tell me about this book.
0: This book has been 20 years in the making, and that is not said flippantly. Um, we've been doing it. One of the most asked questions early on when I was a speaker is we think what you did up to the movie was awesome, but what happened, what has happened since? Yeah. And so we started writing things, but nothing ever came to a conclusion. And then we took into to view the fact that in 2001, I left the Dodgers because in less than five days, I went from being one of the best athletes on the planet to not being able to judge a ball thrown back at me. And wow. so I retired. I thought if I throw a hundred and somebody hits it back at me a hundred, I can't get out of the way. Yeah. And so I retired, I went home, We filmed the movie, but over those next 20 years, I've had over 50 surgeries and nobody could ever figure anything out. They were mostly nerve related. And so this is a story about that journey. Mm. And what ended up happening was I was diagnosed with Parkinson's and the pills worked great. I could smell again. I could taste, I could move and not fall over. And then the pills killed my stomach and I couldn't tolerate them. And so stomach surgery and just everything that could possibly tumble. And every time I would go in, my neurologist would go, it's just Parkinson's. It's just Parkinson's. And so I ended up having a deep brain stimulator put in my brain with battery pack is in my chest. Lovely to go through TSA with that every time. Sure. And it allows me the ability to handle things. And I don't look like I'm going to fall over. And, but all through that and all through 50 surgeries in 20 years, you're on opiates a lot because that's what doctors prescribed at that time. They gave them to you in the bucketfuls. Right. And so I'm not abusing the pills, but for 20 years, I've been on pills because that's a lot of surgeries every year. Sure. And that wasn't working. The pain hurt. The Parkinson's was really wearing me out and these headaches. People go, oh, I got a migraine. I'm going to go lay down. Well, my migraine lasted for six months, and day, night, on and on, go to speak, you still got to talk, but you get through it somehow, God let you get through that, you go back and you go to bed because your brain hurts so bad, and to the point where when they did a brain scan of me, I have scar tissue from the migraines, and... But all through that journey, it led to the pills don't work. I'll add vodka to that. Let's see what happens then. Maybe that'll work. (laughs) And then you got this cascade ball of just crap. Mm. And it's all happening in front of you. And you think, oh, I hurt so bad. My My mom bought me a cane to walk with. That's how bad it was. And all through this time, my faith is building and evaporating at the same time. Right. Because I've got good stuff because this surgery has worked and I can smell and I can taste, but I still hurt. What am I going to do? So all that perpetuates in the fact that I end up in rehab and rehab. My one of the biggest, my counselor was one of the biggest baseball fans on the planet has been to every stadium. Wow. And he said, what happened? And I told him everything that happened. And he goes, So where has Jesus been in all this? And I went, he's been right beside me. You know, we're going down the road. He's my co-pilot. He goes, if you had Jesus, why would you not let him drive? Come on. And that just flipped something in me. And I went, I don't need this. And then one of my counselors going, opiates do two things. They cause more pain and then they kill you. Hmm? And so this book goes through all that living life, not missing speeches, even though I was on opiates and I was drinking, that wasn't going to happen. I wasn't going to miss anything, but it was just perpetuating. And that moment, why don't you let him drive? Wow. And been clean and sober for four years. All of a sudden, we've been asking God for the ending of this book. And then he hands it to me. It ends up in rehab, and I call that the last resort for the last resort. (laughs) And it's just, it's been a journey. And I've come out on the other side, and I'm better. I'm stronger. I'm smarter. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better grandfather now. And it's fun to be clear because you can think. And when you can think, you can do. And when you can do, you can dream. Mm. And so that whole journey is in there. It's open. It's honest my girls from the church and this is a big thing that people who have faith are going to eat it up. and People who don't are going to go, you're, you're weird. (laughs) But my girls at church and I call them my girls loosely because they're from 50 to 90, but they don't want me to call them old. And so they're my girls, (laughs) but they've been praying for me constantly through everything, Mm -hmm. even rehab and especially rehab. And, dude, I don't have Parkinson's anymore. What? Come and on. My, neuro- my neurologist goes, this doesn't happen. Made me do all the physical tests, sent me for a brain scan. Brain scan comes back. It's clear. You, you don't have Parkinson's. <laughs> wow. and, and I did a, po- a podcast with Dennis a couple of weeks ago that'll come out sometime in the future. And we're talking about this. journey. He goes, that doesn't happen. I said, yeah, I know. The doctors told me that. And but my neurosurgeon, the one who put the deep brain scanulator in, beep, <laughs> deep brain stimulator in, he goes, You know what? I'm not going to count anything out. You seem to have been able to accomplish some very strange things in your life. And so you don't have Parkinson's, dude. I can, I can tell that by looking at you. And wow. it's just, it's been a journey. And so all of that's in the
1: book. Man, Sorry, it's- long answer. No, that was perfect. I love it, and I, I didn't actually know that you didn't have Parkinson's anymore. Well, that is unbelievable. What a cool miracle, man! And uh, man, so awesome to hear that. A quick question on Dennis Quaid. He just seems like the really just like the coolest guy, down to earth. Is he as cool as he is in real life? As he in the movies?
0: It came to the point that when we were doing one of the deals in Vegas for Russell Athletics because they were one of the sponsors of the movie. And we're in a room made for 500, and there's like 5,000 in there. We can't breathe. He pulls me aside, and he goes, let's get out of here. we wormed our way out. We're in the casino. Nobody's in the casino because everybody's at the party. And we sit down at a blackjack table. And I'm looking at someone who is my friend because we've been spending time together. We have traveled together. We've interviewed together. He played me in the movie. Right. He's my buddy. Yeah. And so there's nobody around us. And literally within five minutes, I look up, there's 500 people around this blackjack table. And I looked at him and I went, you're a movie star. <laughs> and I'm hanging out with this dude who puts his pants on the same way, but he's made over 50 movies. He's a star. Yeah. And you think about, wow, how does anybody of that magnitude go anywhere? I mean, Tiger Woods, how do you go to the bathroom and not have people see it? Wow. And so... We just became friends. He's a, he's a great guy. We've stayed in contact for 20 years. And I did a podcast with him the other day. It'll come out in a month or so. Yeah. And he's hanging out. He's go, hey, we're my, my girlfriend, my fiancee and I are traveling out there in a few weeks. Let's hang out. That's the type of person Dennis Quaid is.
1: Come on. I saw a video of you talking about a trip that you made to the White House with your son to see President Bush. I couldn't stop laughing, but tell about this story about what happened when President Bush talked to your son.
0: <laughs> president Bush loves baseball, owned a major league baseball team. yeah he loves baseball. watched the movie with all the Disney people. I couldn't attend that because I had a prior commitment and so I expressed my condolences. I'm sorry I can't be there i I got this other thing. so I get a letter a week later from the president thanking me for my character. Not everybody's going to turn down a White House trip. Right. (laughs) And a month later, he invites us to the White House for a T-ball event, Cal Ripken's deal. Yeah. And so we go out there and he pulls us aside and he's talking to us. He goes, love the movie. It was great. I'm talking to the president on the White House lawn. And all the Secret Service guys are everywhere trying to be the most conspicuous, inconspicuous people they can. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> and his wife is there. The first lady is standing next to him. And it is like this picture perfect moment when the President of the United States looks down at my 10 year old son. And in his Texas draw, he said, Hunter, are you going to be a ball player like your daddy? And my son looking up at the President. And going, no, sir, baseball sucks. (laughs) Come on. To to a baseball guy. Right. So as a baseball player, I'm like, you did not just say that. Right. Everything that baseball means in this country and it sucks, thank you. Right. But the dad in me is going, you said, sir. Right. That's pretty cool. And... uh, That was our White House trip. And he goes, I'm going to be a lawyer. And that kid is 30 with my first grandkid, and he's a lawyer. Wow. Very cool. Do you have a favorite baseball player? Always looked up to Nolan Ryan. That's an easy answer. But I loved his work ethic. I loved what he did, not only on the field, but off the field. And someone whose sons I've met at different events. And they carry themselves in the way you know their dad did good. He has yeah. really, really good kids. And yeah. so I admire him on and off the field.
1: Nolan Ryan has been my favorite player since I was able to go to the card shops and save up money and buy all the cards I could for his. And I think I have probably 200 of his cards, different ones. And my son, who is, will be seven at the end of this month, um, has fallen into that. He, he's seen my cards, and he tells me at least once a week, Dad, do I ever get to go meet Nolan Ryan? And I'm like, son, we're going to try someday. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. It's uh, incredible. I'm a music guy, so I love to ask this question, but do you have a favorite band or a favorite type of music that you like to listen to?
0: Gotten into Christian music big times. Um, Jeremy Camp is probably my favorite. Yeah. And Jeremy Riddle can sing off the charts. And then you got everybody at Bethel who can sing. Right. And it's just... Has changed for me. I don't want to admit who my band is when I run and I work out. (laughs) If you're going to put me on the spot, I would say I listen to Disturbed. And so I cover both ends of the spectrum. Come on. Yeah. Moving quick. (laughs) I'll do Shine Down. Love their lead singer.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Jim, it's been such an honor to have you on my show today. Thank you so much for taking time, man. Your story is amazing. And you would definitely fall into what I would consider a world changer, man. So thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me so much for checking out the show today. I wanted to just take one quick second of your time to point you to ericallenmedia.com. I have a ton of free and paid content on our resources tab. Click on that. Tons of books, tons of websites. You can go check out some secret websites in there as well for you. listen i am available for hire for anything from product videos to content videos review videos i do a lot of how to and explainer type videos box opening videos for brands i also do laser engraving for anything that's wood products so if you need some you know coasters made or fun tags or something like that shoot me a dm happy to help you out you can check out some of my work on our youtube channel there really appreciate you checking out the show today thank you so much for your time have an amazing day